Welcome to We Live for Saturday, your favorite college football podcast. Normally, I'm your co-host, Mike, but today, I'm just your host, Mike. As John is not on this podcast for the Week 12 preview episode. However, never fear, John will be back for the Week 12 review episode to talk about all these games after they happen. Um, So in the meantime, you got me. And since there's no one here to banner with, I'm going to jump right into the games. All right. First up, we have the 10-0, number three ranked Michigan Wolverines at the 6-4 Maryland Terrapins. This is an 11 a.m. game on Fox. Line is Michigan, negative 19. Total yards, Michigan averages 411 to Maryland's 397. Yards allowed, Michigan's allowing just 232 to Maryland's 340. Maryland QB Leah Tugavailoa has over 2,700 yards on 65% completions, 7.4 yards per attempt, 22 TDs, and 8 picks this year. Running back Roman Hemby has 515 yards rushing on 4.7 yards per rush. Jones, Prather, Felton, and the tight end Deitchus are all frequent targets for Leah. And linebacker Ruben Hippolyte's having a nice year with 47 tackles. For Michigan, QB J.J. McCarthy has nearly 2,200 yards passing on 76% completions, 10.3 yards per attempt, 18 TDs, and three interceptions. However, against Penn State, Michigan rarely passed and stuck with the running game. The strategy worked, but it seemed wild to take the ball out of McCarthy's hands for such a large portion of the game, including almost the whole second half. Blake Corum is the star at running back, although on Saturday, running back Donovan Edwards got involved as well, running the ball and in the screen game, so that was good to see. Wide receivers Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, and the tight end Colston Loveland are household names at this point with how much they've produced pretty much every week but last week when Michigan leaned so hard on the running game in the second half. Maryland took Michigan to the limit last year in what was a one-score win for Michigan. Maryland could have won that game. So they've played close games recently, these two teams. Can Maryland hold up in the trenches? Can they protect Leah? Can they stop the Michigan running game? These are the big three questions I have. I mean, I guess it's really one question. Can Maryland hold up in the trenches? on both sides of the ball. You know, can they protect the quarterback? Can they stop this Michigan running game? Um, If they can, then this could be a really competitive game. If not, this could be, you know, a long day for the Terrapins. Ultimately, I think Michigan is just too strong up front. The Wolverines have dominated teams up front all year, and I don't think that's going to change this week, especially against a suspect Maryland front. I expect Leah to be running for his life, which will lead to throwing a couple picks. Uh, Conversely, I expect the Wolverines running game to excel. Michigan will run the ball a lot in this one, as they did last week against Penn State. They want to shorten this game in order to minimize injuries and rest starters for the Ohio State game next week. 
that means this game won't get quite out as out of hand as a lot of Michigan games have this year. So I think the score is going to be the Michigan Wolverines 35, the Maryland Terrapins 13. All right, moving on to the next game. We've got the 6 and 4 Rutgers Scarlet Knights visiting the 8 and 2 number 12 ranked Penn State Nittany Lions. This is an 11 a.m. game on FS1. The line is Penn State by 20 and a half. Total yards, Rutgers averages 311 to Penn State's 378. Yards allowed, Rutgers allowing 295 to Penn State's 240. Penn State QB Drew Aller had arguably his worst game of the season last week against Michigan. He finished just 10 for 22 for 70 yards on a paltry 3.2 yards per attempt and one TD. Penn State's passing game just didn't get the job done against Michigan, and subsequently James Franklin fired his offensive coordinator, Mike Yersich. If you're keeping track at home, I think that six offensive coordinators now in the James Franklin era at Penn State. So he's gone through them, and not all of them were fired, of course. A couple of them ended up as head coaches. But James Franklin had, you know, reportedly really coveted Mike Yersich, so it's interesting that he got the boot uh, when he did. And it's uh, it's a little bit of a hot seat being the offensive coordinator for James Franklin. So we'll see who he gets to... Uh, to replace Mike Yurcich in State College. Um, Katron Allen, running back, had a decent game last week with 72 yards on six yards per rush. Nicholas Singleton once again struggled in the carries he got. Penn State has to get star wide receiver Keandre Lambert-Smith back on track against Rutgers. Rutgers is coming off arguably its worst game of the year against Iowa, a game in which the Scarlet Knights got shut out. Gavin Wimsat was just 7 for 18, and star running back Kyle Manungai only had 39 yards rushing. Rutgers will have to get Manungai going if they're going to have a chance to compete with Penn State. And also, Rutgers needs Gavin Wimsat to contribute in the running game. He didn't run the ball a lot last week, and I wasn't exactly sure why, um, because he's such a weapon that way and has been this year. A question I've got for this game is how healthy is Kyle Manungai? If healthy, he's great, but if not, that's a problem. Rutgers wants to run clock in this game and keep Penn State's offense off the field as much as they can. My biggest question in this game is how does Rutgers score points? The only way I see Rutgers scoring enough points to make this interesting is if they can run the ball and have success in the RPO and play action passing games uh, game as well. The problem is that Wimsett hasn't been accurate, very, very accurate this year anyway, which makes Rutgers sort of one dimensional. Um, I think on Saturday that's going to lead to a big Penn State victory. So I've got the Penn State Nittany Lions 31, the Rutgers Scarlet Knights 10.
All right, moving on to the next game. Got the three and seven Michigan State Spartans visiting the three and seven Indiana Hoosiers. This is an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. The line is Indiana by three and a half. Total yards, Michigan State averages 305 to Indiana's 324. Yards allowed, Michigan State's allowing 369 yards to Indiana's 391. Michigan State QB Caden Hauser has been up and down since taking over the starting job, completing 57% of his passes with three TDs and two picks. Running back Nathan Carter has been reliable with 711 yards on 4.3 yards per rush and four TDs. Montori Foster continues to be Sparty's best receiver. Uh, The IU defense didn't play well last week against Illinois. Can they play better this week? Um, And for for Michigan State, can Sparty get Nathan Carter going? If they do, that could lead to big plays in the play-action passing game. Ultimately, I trust Brandon Soresby and this IU offense more than I trust Michigan State's offense. Um, That's the difference in a game where I think both defenses are somewhat suspect. So I've got the Indiana Hoosiers 28, the Michigan State Spartans 20. All right, next up, we've got the three and seven Purdue Boilermakers at the five and five Northwestern Wildcats. This is an 11 a.m. game on the Big Ten Network. Line is Purdue by three. Total yards, Purdue averages 366 to Northwestern's 295. Yards allowed, Purdue's allowing 390 to Northwestern's 332. Northwestern QB Ben Bryant played really well in his first game back from injury, going 18 for 26 last week for 195 yards, two TDs, zero picks, and a QBR of 94. So that was pretty impressive stuff from him. The Cats were also able to get the running game going last week against Wisconsin, which hasn't happened much this year. Cam Porter and Joseph Hyman combined for 113 yards, which is way better than they usually do on the ground. And A.J. Henning continues to be a dangerous wide receiver for the Cats. Purdue, likewise, got a strong performance last week from signal caller Hudson Card, going over 250 yards passing on just 25 attempts, so really efficient in his work there. But the Purdue running game was the star last week. Mockaby and Tracy ran wild, and you have to expect Purdue wants to keep that momentum going with the ground game. Dion Burks will need to have a big day receiving if Purdue is going to knock off Northwestern, in my opinion. Purdue is an unpredictable team. You don't know which Purdue squad is showing up week to week, so it makes it hard to project what they're going to do in any one single game. Can Purdue run the ball effectively? If so, the Boilermakers could have an advantage. If not, both teams will be somewhat one-dimensional. Both teams have questionable running attacks. Expect a lot of passing in this game from both teams. 
ultimately, I think Purdue caught lightning in a bottle last week, and there could be a little bit of a letdown this week. So I've got the Northwestern Wildcats 28, the Purdue Boilermakers 24. All right, next up, we've got the 5-5 five and five Illinois Illini visiting the 8-2, number 16-ranked Iowa Hawkeyes. This is a 2.30 p.m. game on FS1. The line is Iowa negative 3. Total yards, Illinois averages 396 to Iowa's 243. Yards allowed, Illinois is giving up 388 to Iowa's 282. Illinois is coming off a game in which backup QB John Paddock threw for over 500 yards. However, despite that fact, Bielema plans to start Luke Altmaier again this week now that he's healthy. In my opinion, it's crazy to bench Paddock when he's playing so well, but Bielema must really believe in Altmaier. The downfield passing dimension of the Illinois offense is is unlocked by Paddock, which helps elevate Isaiah Williams and the other receivers. Altmaier's completing 65% of his passes on 7 yards per attempt with 13 TDs and 10 picks. Those picks have been a big problem this year, though, as they've come at inopportune times, and there's just been, too, frankly, too many of them. Nonetheless, Altmaier will be the starter. The question in my mind is whether Paddock gets the nod should the offense sputter. That will be something to track throughout the game. Because it's one thing to say you're going back to your starter, but if they come out and Illinois goes flat for a few series, you know, does Altmaier stay in or do they turn to Paddock to try to jumpstart the thing? So that's that's a storyline in this game that I'm really fascinated by. At running back, Caden Fagan and Reggie Love continue to share carries at RB. Fagan is playing banged up, however, so that's something to track to see how he's doing and how effective he can be. Isaiah Williams is the star at wideout for Illinois with nearly 900 yards receiving on 13.1 yards per catch and five TDs. The dude is absolutely electric. Iowa is down star cornerback Cooper DeGene, who got hurt in practice this week. So Iowa's best cover guy won't be available against Illinois or for the rest of the season. So that's really unfortunate um, for the Hawkeyes and for DeGene. That's a tough break. Iowa quarterback Deacon Hill is coming off by far his best performance of the year last week, throwing for 223 yards on 7.2 yards per attempt, one TD and one pick. This is leaps and bounds better than he's been the rest of this year. Williams, Johnson, and Patterson all got double-digit carries last week as Iowa is going within a running back by committee approach at this point. Can Iowa run the ball effectively against Illinois? And if they can, to what extent can they run the ball? If they can, the Hawkeyes have a distinct advantage. If they can't, then I think Illinois has the advantage. 
Deacon Hill throws a few bad balls up for grabs each game. Can Illinois capitalize? Illinois has not made as many plays in the secondary this year as they did last year, but Deacon Hill will will give you chances to make plays, and there's a question of whether Illinois can take advantage of that or not. The Cooper DeGene thing, it really hurts. He's Iowa's best player, and it'll be interesting to see how the Hawkeyes adjust to him being out. And who steps up to be the, you know, in coverage to take over his responsibilities. A question I have in this game is will we get good Luke Altmeyer or turnover prone Luke Altmeyer? Because that makes a big difference in what I'm going to project would happen. And then my last question can Iowa dominate special teams sufficiently to run away with this game? We know in the punting and kicking game, Iowa's really good. In a close game like this is projected to be, you know, is that the difference? Ultimately, I think Iowa misses Cooper DeGene in this game, which means Isaiah Williams for Illinois gets loose and does some damage. And I think that's the difference in this game is that Isaiah Williams makes a few big plays and that turns it for Illinois. So I've got the Illinois Illini 17, the Iowa Hawkeyes 13. All right, next up, got the 5-5 five and five Minnesota Golden Gophers visiting the number two 10-0 Ohio State Buckeyes. This is a 3 p.m. game on the Big Ten Network. Line is Ohio State by 27 and a half. Total yards, Minnesota averages 319 to Ohio State's 429. Yards allowed, Minnesota allows 364 to Ohio State's 262. QB Ethan Kaliak Manis has been cons- inconsistent all year for the Gophers, although he's played a little better of late. He's completing 52% of his passes on 6.4 yards per attempt, 13 TDs, and 7 picks. Minnesota absolutely cannot stay healthy at running back as they are on their fifth running back of the year in Jordan Newbin, who averages 4.9 yards per rush and has two TDs. So Newbin has been solid for what it's worth. He's doing a good job, um, but he is not the same kind of dynamic presence as a Darius Taylor or a Zach Evans. And the Gophers are really missing that in their offense right now. At wide receiver, Daniel Jackson continues to excel for Minnesota with 681 yards receiving and seven TDs. Coming off yet another 100-plus yard game last week, he's been the bright spot in an at-times shaky Minnesota passing offense. For Ohio State, QB Kyle McCord continues to improve. He's completing 66% of his passes on 9.3 yards per attempt, which is really solid. He also has 20 TDs and just four picks. At running back, Travion Henderson has been a revelation since he got healthy. His speed on the outside zone play makes OSU tough to defend. And at wide receiver, Marvin Harrison isn't just the best wide receiver in the conference, but I think he's the best football player in the whole country. He already has over 1,000 yards receiving with an eye-popping 18 yards per catch and 12 receiving TDs. He also added a rushing TD last week. 
The Buckeyes will try to feature Harrison enough to keep him in the Heisman race, I think. And then they'll get him and others out of the game. Everything is focused on the Ohio State-Michigan game and the Minnesota-Wisconsin game. And this is why this is a unique matchup in that neither team, I, I think, is entirely focused on this game. Both are thinking about the next game for their own respective reasons. Minnesota needs to beat Wisconsin and win the Axe to get bowl eligible. Well, Ohio, Ohio, excuse me. Well, Ohio State needs to beat Michigan to win the division and ensure a spot in the college football playoff. Defensively, Ohio State is arguably the best defense in the country. They've been that dominant. By contrast, Minnesota's defense has a pile of injuries, and last week was by far their worst performance as the Gophers are trotting out untested freshmen due to so many injuries at linebacker. This game is going to be ugly, and I don't think Minnesota will legitimately compete in this game. Gophers still need one win for a bowl game, and they will hold out anybody who is dinged up to save them for the Wisconsin game next week. Minnesota can't score enough points to keep up with Ohio State in the best of times, but against this year's absolutely elite Buckeye defense, it could be tough sledding for the Gopher offense. The good news is this should be a short game, as both squads will grind clock as much as they can to try to get out of the game relatively unscathed. So I've got the Ohio State Buckeyes 49, the Minnesota Golden Gophers 10. All right, last up, I've got the 5-5 five and five Nebraska Cornhuskers visiting the 5-5 five and five Wisconsin Badgers. This is a 6.30 p.m. game on NBC. The line is Wisconsin by 4.5. Total yards, Nebraska averages 313, Wisconsin's 372. Yards allowed, Nebraska's allowing 307 to Wisconsin's 333. Nebraska QB Heinrich Harburg had a turnover and then got hurt last week. Nebraska played both Jeff Sims, who turned it over three times, and Chubba Purdy, who threw a pick and just three passes. All three Nebraska QBs threw picks. Not sure if Harburg is healthy enough to play this week, um, but it's looking like there's a decent chance he won't be. And if so, it'll be one of the backups. Emmett Johnson continues his strong play at running back as he had 84 yards on nearly five yards per rush last week. Nebraska still struggles to throw the ball, regardless of who's playing quarterback. For Wisconsin, Tanner Mordecai returned from injury last week and threw for 255 yards on just 5.7 yards per attempt and a QBR of 44. Stud running back Braylon Allen appeared banged up last week as he only got three carries and didn't do much with them. Whether or not he can play makes a huge difference for this Wisconsin offense. He's the straw that stirs the drink and his backups just aren't as dynamic to the point where if Braylon Allen is in, they are a run first team. If Braylon Allen is out, Wisconsin is a pass first team. And that's how big a difference it makes if he's playing or not. Will Pauling had a nice day last week for the Badgers with 96 yards receiving. Wisconsin needs to be a little more efficient in the passing game if Braylon Allen continues to be out with an injury. Star safety Hunter Waller called out his teammates. We have to be better. We're soft. We're not physical. 
we're not doing the things the coaches ask of us, then we go out there and expect to win, said Wohler. That's not how this game works, especially in the Big Ten. So those are harsh words from the best player probably on that Badger defense. So it'll be really interesting to see if the Wisconsin defense bounces back this week and if Wisconsin as a whole bounces back this week after a really disappointing effort last week. Wisconsin and Nebraska both need to win a game to get bowl eligible. So this game will be really intense as the stakes are pretty high. Now, obviously, either of them could win their sixth game in their next game, but you don't want to leave it up to that if you don't have to. You want to clinch when you can. Harburg seems to be hurt at quarterback for Nebraska. Jeff Sims is the healthy one. Chubba Purdy is apparently playing hurt, too. So it seems like Sims has to be the guy this week. And if so, Jeff Sims turns it over a ton. So the best unit in this game is the Nebraska defense. If I'm talking about Nebraska defense, Nebraska offense, Wisconsin defense, Wisconsin offense, the best unit is the Nebraska defense. But it's just hard for me to trust this Nebraska offense with their tendency to turn the ball over, especially if the quarterback of that offense is Jeff Sims. But even if it's not, they have turned it over a lot uh, of late and pretty much throughout the year. So I think that even though the Nebraska defense will keep them in this game, I think ultimately this is a bounce back game for Wisconsin and they win. Wisconsin Badgers 24, the Nebraska Cornhuskers 17. All right, we made it through all the games. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me. John and I will both be back uh, this weekend to review the games, the Week 12 games. So look forward to that podcast. In the meantime, I hope you have a great day and that you enjoy some football this weekend. Take it easy.